From MPB Think Radio, it's Creature Comforts, the show all about your animals and the animals around you. I'm Java Chapman here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. On today's show, we're talking salamanders with Tom Mann from the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Tom will let us in on what makes these little creatures so special and the work he's doing to literally help them cross the road. If you want to know why the salamander crossed the road, he has the answer. Also, Amy Genke from the Natchez Trace Parkway will give us the inside scoop on BioBlitz happening later this month. Also, Dr. Troy Major is ready for your pet questions. Want to join the conversation? Call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. This is Creature Comforts. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, it's Creature Comforts, to show all about your animals and the animals around you. I'm Java Chapman here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. On today's shows, we're going to be talking about salamanders with Tom Mann from the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. He's going to let us know all about these little creatures and how he is literally helping them cross the road. Also, from the Natchez Trace Parkway, we have Amy Ganke, and she's going to let us know about a wonderful event and all the good works that they do at the Natchez Trace Parkway. Also, Dr. Troy Major is always in the house, ready to help with your pet questions. So join the conversation, one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. And if you happen to miss Creature Comforts, you can always catch the repeat Saturday mornings at 6 a.m. How's everybody doing this morning? Right. Doing great. Well, Libby, glad to um, have you back in the in in the chair this morning. We missed you last week. I'm very glad to be here. I'm, I'm sorry I missed last week, but I, I I listened to the podcast, and it's a great thing to do if you miss a show. Yeah, we had um, Steve Grucci um, from Wildlife uh, Mississippi on, and like uh, Libby just said, if you miss any of our shows, you can always check out the podcast, MPB Online dot org slash uh, creature comforts and I want to say good morning to I guess uh, Tom Mann and Amy Genke how y'all doing this morning I'm fine good morning yeah we're in here sharing mics because we got a full <laughs> house this morning <laughs> and we need you to um, join the conversation so as always you can call us up one eight seven seven MPB ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four or you can send an email animals at MPB online dot or um, Dr. Major, anything going on at the clinic? Always. Uh, it's, it's been a pretty busy week so far. Uh, we've seen a fair number of just common uh, medical problems, uh, a few, uh, few dog fights and uh, no snake bites this week. So that's good. Yeah, well, I, I know with the, uh, with the flood, I didn't know if anything, yeah. uh, you know, in particular came up. Well, I said last week it was interesting right after our uh Terry Ventaventer uh was on and right after that when I got back to the clinic I had one snake bite and then another one about uh three days later. So Yeah, well they I guess the they, water pushed the water did push some of them out, I'm sure, in areas where they weren't normally gonna be. 
Yeah, there we go. Um, we uh, we got an early phone call, so we're gonna go ahead and jump into uh, Pam from Stone County and see see what's going on. Pam, how you doing? Fine. How's everybody doing? No, oh, we're all right this morning. What do you got for us? Well, we live in an old house, and um, I had been looking up on the actually just sitting on the porch, and I saw a big black lizard-like creature that looks almost like an iguana, but it's solid black. It's very large probably six to eight inches long, long tail. And so I had been asking, looking around and asking people, and people were saying it was a roof monitor. And I was just curious, did anybody happen to know anything about those? Uh, my guess, this is Tom, my guess is that that is probably a male um, broad-headed skink, and it's probably not black. It's probably dark brown. And depending on the light, you may see it as darker than that. Uh, the head does the head look larger than the rest of the body? Um, I didn't get a real good look at its head. It it just only came out for literally like a minute. He backed down out of the roof, and then I saw his whole body, and then he just immediately went right back up. So I think I had seen one like him about ten years ago, on about in the same area. So uh, yeah, I, I'm thinking it looks kind of more like an iguana. So not not slinking along the wall like that. Um, check go go to the internet and check out broad-headed skinks. You may see uh-huh. his latticeps and see if that doesn't see if the motion does not resemble what you saw. That's my guess. They're breeding this time of year. Yeah. And um, Pam, I guess one thing to remember when something startles you like that, sometimes it looks bigger than it really is <laughs> uh, to all of us. So uh, when you're looking online at the but I can't see how there could be an iguana well, the, there. The length yeah. was right. The eight inches is about yeah, right. Yeah, the eight inches there. is about right for a big broadhead. So that's it. Uh, yeah, they're pretty impressive. That's a lizard. It's and a lizard. The head is uh, really got some red on it, but it kind of blends in with the brown. They're neat-looking animal. Okay. 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 So they're pretty common then, or? Oh yeah, they might be eating your wasps. Yeah, or oh, your roaches, even better. Yeah. Oh, okay, great. All right, thank you. All right, thanks for the call, Pam. Appreciate you for listening. And if uh, you want to join the conversation, one eight seven seven mpb ring uh, So when she was talking about um, what was it, so it wasn't any any, any iguana? Uh, no, I was, no, we think it's a broad-headed skink. Right? So what is a broad-headed skink? Um, a lizard. And it's a native <laughs> lizard. One of many lizards. Lizard. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, iguanas don't occur here naturally. So if it's an iguana, it's somebody's escaped pet, right, Troy? That's correct. And there's... Just there aren't that many around, and it's pretty hard for them to make it through a Mississippi winter. I'll bet they wouldn't survive our winters, even last winter. Right? Not the, here. The skink is uh, pretty striking because it doesn't have the typical scales that you would see. Right? Well, small scales. It's got scales, right. small, but it's small, small. But yeah. It, yeah. it almost looks slick. Is yeah, it what does I'm look trying, slick. Right. That's what yeah, I'm trying to say. Yeah, it's kind of got a shiny skin to it. Yeah. yeah. So kind of like when a uh, with a uh, I guess a salamander. Some say it looks it looks like a lizard. Also, kind of looks like a frog a little bit. <laughs> but when you see a salamander, what's what, what Tom? What's some of the characteristics? Yeah, I see your question here. There's <laughs> no one one size does not fit all. Here. Some have four legs. Some have two legs. Um, some are totally aquatic. Some are totally terrestrial. Many have a a biphasic life with a terrestrial phase and aquatic phase like some we were talking about today, but there's no one generalization other than they don't have scales, they don't have claws that fits all of them. They, okay. don't, they don't have shelled eggs, unlike reptiles. Um, so it's a, Moist. It's a, 
They're going to usually be usually more. Usually, then you've got newts. There's exceptions to. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because when, yeah, when I was looking it up, yeah. newts came up, and that, that's not the same thing as a salamander? No, they are a kind of salamander. Uh, <laughs> different family salamander, they're a salamander. Um, Once so they get self, up, grow up, they can be a little if bit it's, dry. If you're seeing it in the daytime, on the sun, it's probably a lizard. It's probably a lizard, with the exception of newts. If you're seeing it at night, it's probably a salamander, with the exception of geckos. <laughs> so. so it's just all big family. But, but no salamander has scales. Um, lizards all have scales. No lizard has gills. Some salamanders have gills, depending on the stage of the life. So. So you really just have to know what you're looking at. <laughs> Take a picture and send it to us. <laughs> yeah, no, Tom, you sent us, you sent us some good pictures. Um, I think it was like a, a black, the black spotted, uh, a spotted uh, salamander. salamander right? yeah, spotted, spotted. spotted salamander. That has a classic biphasic salamander life history. Terrestrial adults, no gills, lung bearing, and the, uh, the larvae are gilled and live in the water. But also have legs. So are those the ones that are, I guess native to Mississippi? The those ones are native on to the, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And those are that's one of the species we we haul across the road. Now, how big can a salamander get? Because they're pretty small. Uh, these are uh, yeah, did, didn't come with a um, a big spotted salamander, which is a large one from Mississippi, a large terrestrial salamander. It'd be about as long as my hand. Okay. We have larger species here. The largest one is uh, the hellbender in northeast. Well, I say it's not the largest. The largest we have here is the. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Amphibians are larger, much larger. Have really tiny legs. You might not even notice. Um, those could be two or three feet long. Um, the hellbender is a big one too, though. Okay, I know because, I, like I said before, we got on air. Whenever we um, have an animal come on, I always like to go for like what is the biggest of this animal, and um, it's the Japanese giant salamander can be up to six feet. And you know, go on YouTube, they have all these videos, and that was pretty like. Big and ugly to me. <laughs> I just, I got to say it. I don't think any of them are. I think they're all interesting. Interesting. Yeah, interesting. I mean, it can be ugly. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to call an amphibian really pretty now. All right. They're, they're odd. They're strange. Those I maybe, like to right, see least one, attractive. Yeah. yeah it, it went, Except to the mothers. And now most people think that's a, a, a weird... Folks call, those, an folks call those eels. Congo. Yeah, they're not Congo, eels. Yeah. They don't yeah. have external gills as adults. Yeah. It looks snake-like, but they got really tiny legs. So. But most salamanders are really cute little things. Yeah, like, the, the, like the pictures that we posted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah the ones you can hold in your yeah. the ones you can hold in your hand. Yeah. I did put this down. When was the last time you had one in your hand? Last night. <laughs> did you were you on the trace? I was on the trace last night. They had young of the year uh, yearling Webster's heading back to the rocks to spend the summer, crossing a nearly dry fence. Okay. Well, we don't. We don't talk. Yeah. Right, that, that was interesting. I saw you got some some press even in the New York Times about um, about that was you know spotted, the work, that was spotted salamander. The work that you were doing, carrying. But um, we also have Amy Genke here from the um, National Trace Parkway, and um, we, oh, we, I mean, you guys do a lot of things all the time throughout the year. But uh, you also have the Bio Blitz coming up um, real soon. Tell us about that. We do. So the Natchez Trace Parkway, along with our park partners, so Mississippi State University Extension Office and also the Mississippi Geographic Alliance at the University of Mississippi, we are hosting a wildlife festival and bio blitz. It's going to be on Saturday, April 22nd from 930 to 4, and that will be at the Natchez Trace Parkway Visitor Center at milepost 266 on the parkway near Tupelo. And it's all in um, conjunction with National Park Week, 
National Junior Ranger Day and Earth Day as well. So it's a great day to come out and celebrate biodiversity. And just have a, a good time in nature. And, you know, unplug as everybody needs to do sometimes. Definitely, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, we also, um, um, I see that you're going to have one of our friends, Terry Vanderventer. He's going to come and uh, talk about the snakes of Mississippi. Yeah, we have a couple different presenters this year. Terry Vandeventer, of course, will be presenting his uh, live native snake program. And we also have presentations from the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Uh, Deb Waz will be presenting a program on live native reptiles. Um, Mississippi State Assistant Extension Professor Leslie Berger will be doing a program on mammals of Mississippi. And we also have the Southeastern Raptor Center presenting on live native raptors. So a great opportunity to come out and see some live live animals, live wildlife, learn more about them, um, and just have a good day. Okay. Yeah, it's gonna Tom's going to be there too. If you want yeah, to engage I was, I, him in conversation, I was going to ask. I was going to ask, uh, "What's Tom going to be there?" Because if it's during the day, just just to clarify, <laughs> if it's during the day, you see something green, it's not a salamander. <laughs> just trying to give a fact straight. Animals. <laughs> Well, what are you going? Uh, you going to be out there at the Bio Blitz? Yes, I'll be there, and she's having another event. Um, we got to call it Salamander Day at the Ridgeland, Ridgeland Nature Center on the sixth, May sixth, which is actually um, Salamander Day, as declared by the um, what's the program for conservation of salamanders. You can check out Salamander Saturday on the net and find out about that. Okay, we'll, well be do, we'll we'll be doing part of that. Okay. Well, yeah. Well, we um, gonna take our first break for the um, for the hour. But we're here talking with uh, Tom Mann, also Amy Genke, and uh, it's all about salamanders, bio blitz, Natural Trace Parkway, and uh, about to tie this in real quick because um, that that work that Tom is doing is is real, really special out there helping the uh, salamanders literally cross the road. If you want to join the conversation, one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four or animals at MPB online. We'll be right back. If you're a sustaining member of MPB Think Radio. We appreciate your support of our programs. To become a sustainer, go to mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Creature Comforts today in studio. We have uh, Tom Mann and Amy Ginky, as always, uh, Libby Hartfield from the Rural Retired Director. She's still all about the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science and uh, Dr. Troy Major. Um, phone lines are are um, lighting up, as they say. <laughs> so uh, let's go ahead and jump into it. We have Mikey in Mobile. How you doing this morning, Mikey? 
Hi, I'm doing great, and thank you again for another wonderful program. Um, uh, this is the time of year when I've already had a couple of tree frogs try, come in, actually, which doesn't bother me. Um, uh, I kind of wonder about the, you know, the stuff that I put out to, you know, kill the insects that I don't want inside, you know, for them. But uh, and also, this is the time when snakes are moving. Um, unfortunately, I had a neighbor kill a, a black racer the other day, and I said, well, that wasn't, that, that really didn't help the community much, um, uh, considering that they would have, uh, it's non-poisonous, and uh, it, it would have, you know, taken care of some of the mice and stuff. Okay, you got to, um... Uh, my, my question is... Uh, how do amphibians, um, because uh, at my mom's house, where my brother is living currently, uh, there are a bunch of those white salamanders that hang over the kitchen sink window on the outside. Tom is so, in here shaking his head. Is, how do they perceive us? Do they perceive us? Are they heat-seeking? Are they? Um, how do their eyes and ears work? Those are lizards. They're geckos. They're not native Mediterranean geckos. If you look real carefully, they have fine scales, too. In fact, you can look right through them if you're, if you're seeing the belly through a window. You can see the females with the eggs, things like that. They're there at night to eat mobs to fly into your lights. They're harmless. They probably help you out, as Libby said, with, with roaches and things, if you have those. Uh, but, then again, non-native, and that's a lizard at night. So, so that's not a, that's a, uh, a gecko. Which is a, a sort of one of the families of lizards. But she's thinking. But she's thinking it's a salamander. It's not a salamander. Okay. All right. Just I guess they similar in in. It's look. got four le four legs and a tail mm -hmm. like some salamanders. And it is out at night. <laughs> yeah. This it is it's like many salamanders. And how did they get here with fruit? Did we? They probably got fruit? here the same way fire ants got here. The same way um, kogan grass got here. They they came in with um, commerce from overseas. The females lay shelled eggs. Inside of uh, appliances, things like that. Next thing you know, you've got one of the new TV you just bought. They came in, from <laughs> but they've been here a long time. They are they're spreading here from our own sources. So yeah, I've seen those just around. Uh, cute little things, mm -hmm. you know. Not like the salamander, which is ugly. Yeah, I think Jason got a call. I'm oh, sorry, Tom. I'm yeah. sorry. No need to be alarmed. Wait, where's my picture? <laughs> yeah, Jason got a call on this home improvement show about a gecko, and he was on our side. He basically said, "Learn to live with." Them. Yeah, that, that cute. I've, yeah. I've, 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 you know, you see them around, you just gotta gotta love on them. Yeah, that, that was see, that was a little. I'm talking with that that big Japanese. We don't giant. have those. We don't have those. <laughs> <laughs> and with the flat head, it was like really, really long. Uh, let's go back to the, to the phone lines. We got uh, Andrew from Brookhaven. Um, a question about venomous snakes. Good morning, Andrew. Hey, how you guys? No, right. What's your question? Um, well, so I um, I garden a lot, and you know I see a lot of little garter snakes. And uh, I've lived in Mississippi for a very long time, and um, <clears throat> I've always had uh, always seen venomous snakes out in the woods and around my property and stuff, and um, just, I've, I've usually just killed them because that's always just been my first instinct. Uh, but I'm wondering if there's a better alternative. Maybe uh, is there someone I can call to come relocate them or, or if I should just keep doing what I'm doing? Because, I mean, I got a dog and I don't want my dog getting bit or anything or my fiance. Um, panel? <laughs> you know what? Now, this is Tom. When I get when I find little cotton mouths or copperheads along our fence at the trace, uh, they're federal snakes. I move them out of my way. <laughs> Yeah. I don't kill anything. I have had no issues out there, Matthew, all the time, uh, but I'm watching. 
Many times I place my hands next to hand next to um, one that I didn't see. I've got pictures of that effect here, um, and and I pull back, snap a picture, and go away. And I, but again, you've got to, if you've got a dog that's uh, that's um, uh, poke its nose where it needs, and you've got another issue. But now, yeah. Andrew, I will I will say um, we had uh, uh, Terry Vandervender on um, a couple weeks ago on on the program, and if you want to go back and listen to our podcast, MPB Online org slash creature comforts um he talks all about uh venomous snakes helping to spot them and what you can do um to help you out with your situation okay all right all right appreciate you appreciate your call andrew um we got one other call um charles in savannah how you doing charles good morning hey how you doing all right what's your question or your comment sir well i got two comments one's about the snake killing i know in uh I read in Tennessee it's uh, actually illegal to kill a snake in Tennessee. Okay. So I don't know if it's the same in Mississippi or not. Well, but, uh, you probably don't want to mess with the poison ones, although I have actually caught copperheads and taken them out to the woods. I hate I hate killing them. But good, good. I had a question I'll, about the, well, it's a comment. The Carolina anole, I know got mentioned it just real briefly. It's a lizard. They used to call them chameleons and sold them in the circus and pet stores and everything. And that's going to give my community service announcement. If you do have one as a pet, I learned this a long time ago, uh, they don't drink water out of a dish. you got to sprinkle water on the leaves. And I've seen them in pet stores and stuff dying, and I'd have to tell the pet store people, make sure to sprinkle the water on the leaves so they won't die. Because you see half of them in there dying. You can tell us what it was. It's probably illegal to catch those two, though. <laughs> no, all right. Appreciate your um, comment, Charles. Dr. Uh, Major, have you ever what? had an iguana? Or what, what was he well, talking about? Well, uh, let's talk, let's talk about the anos. They shouldn't be a pet, okay? And they shouldn't be sold in a pet store. I'm not sure exactly whether any pet stores would have them now or not. But uh, they're a little tiny uh you, you know what they are we call them chameleons uh they little males will strut their stuff and put their little red uh the pouch out the little dewlap out. out yeah and uh you know i i can't see somebody keeping one of those as a pet to be honest with you it lifespan would be very short in most cases based on that as far as iguanas we see a fair number of iguanas uh, the iguanas are Again, specialized, and one of the problems with iguanas is that uh, people buy an iguana that's about six, ten inches long, and it dies within about two weeks because of improper lighting, improper food, this sort of thing. So if you have an iguana as a pet, you really need to research your care and taking care of it. Uh, It's very important. Well, now, what is that a picture of? A copperhead? I'm showing our moderator here a picture of a large canebrake rattlesnake and I placed my hand next to in Alabama last year while hunting salamanders, which gave me the courtesy of pulling its head away from instead of putting it into my hand. And that's that? generally what happens. I think we had a speaker last week um, at the museum, Bruce Means, and Terry will confirm this as well, Terry Vandermitter, that most of us pass much closer to more venomous yeah, snakes yeah. than we have any idea of in the woods. They're mainly relying on their concealment. They're not after yeah. us. Yeah, if you step on one, there may be a different issue, but in general, there um, uh, we have many close counters that, that no one gets hurt in. This which, is, 
Regarding the legality, uh, we address that. Uh, there, we you're not permitted to go out and, and kill willy nilly. If you have one on your property that's viewed as a as a clear and present danger, that one you can dispatch. But otherwise, um, they are there's an overarching. There's no there's no free license to annihilate uh, venomous snakes in Mississippi. Now, they Amy, have their role. Amy, do you all see um, um, many snakes on the on the trace? Um, uh, on Natchez Trace Parkway? We definitely have snakes on the Natchez Trace Parkway. And um, as a unit of the National Park Service, all of our wildlife, including venomous snakes, are protected at the Natchez Trace. So um, that is a, a safe place for for the, the snakes of Mississippi, definitely. Um, we have spotted snakes at different trails and viewpoints and things, but just um, being safe and stepping away from the snake is, is the best the best plan um and that's for all snakes um if you're not sure if it's venomous or not it's best to just to step away yeah i know from our last from my last show um with terry vanderbilt he was uh telling us that you'll more than likely get bit trying to kill a snake than just walking away from the snake exactly yeah now also on the on the trace um i saw something in the news you can confirm or not uh, about the feral pigs or something Oh, yeah, some pigs. I think we got a call on the line. Um, uh, let's see if this is what I'm talking about. Ronald from Jackson. Um, how you doing, Ronald? You got a, got a question for us this morning? Hello. Hey, Ronald, you on the air? Yeah. Yeah, I was watching the news last night, and they said something about some wild pigs up on the trace. And I fish up there quite often. I was just wondering how prevalent are they, how dangerous are they, and what should I do if I should accustom one? And I'll hang up and let you talk. All right. Thank you for your question, Ronald. Yeah, that's what the, he's on topic with what I was talking yeah. about. It's a problem statewide, and um, I'm not sure how they're addressing that. Amy may have some more to say about how they're addressing it on the trace, but you do need to be a little wary of them. And uh, on the trace, you can't shoot it, so we could, but you could certainly report it, and they might want to hear that. Um, in general, you know, you need to avoid them. Yeah. Yeah, Make doys get, yeah. Make yourself big. One of the problems yeah. with the uh, feral pigs is that they travel a lot. They don't stay in one place very long. They might be on the trace today and be 10 miles away uh, two days later. They usually travel in fairly compact groups. What is that called? Other than a herd, I'm not sure. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they, can, they, the they do do a lot of damage to both wildlife and uh, agricultural crops. Uh, trapping apparently is the only way right now that uh, is used to extensively, and actually they have traps where they can catch multiple pigs in, until they get smart, and then they'll leave it alone. But uh, uh, it, it is a problem. I think the only time you would run into a problem with a feral pig is when you might walk up on a sow with babies. I think that might be a little dangerous uh, uh, from the standpoint of your personal safety. Definitely. And, um, you know, feral hogs, they have great sense of hearing, great sense of smell. They're typically going to avoid contact with humans. And as you mentioned, um, uh, females with young could could pose an issue. And if you do um, sort of see a feral hog, um, do not approach it. Just stay calm, back away, um, some people recommend backing away diagonally to avoid uh, that encounter and really giving the animal a wide berth. 
um, is is my best advice. All right. Before we take our, um, our next break, we're going to go to um, Catherine in Memphis. I think she needs some uh, help with a lizard ID. How you doing this morning, Catherine? Oh, I'm fine. Thank you. Uh, I wanted to ask, uh, several years ago, I in two different locations in uh, my area, I came across a, a small lizard about an inch and a half, and it looked to be like mustard color, and it had little points on it, and it seemed to have one eye. And I wondered if anyone can identify that. Mm-hmm. Was it on the ground? Was it on the ground? Catherine, you see it there? It uh, was, it was uh, in the apartment. It, it was indoors. Now, when you're saying it seemed to have one eye, uh-huh, uh-huh. you mean like... It, it was. It looked like an eye. Like it was blinded in one eye, or did it have a, a design on the skin that looked like an eye? It didn't have. Um, it didn't have a place for another eye. It was just one eye. Oh. Mm. And it was. I didn't know whether it was poisonous or what. It, where it came from, I'd never seen. Was the tail banded at all? It was sort of all straight. You know, it was so small. Uh, the the tail didn't. I didn't really pay too much attention to the tail. Was it very light colored, almost white? It was very uh, light gray. It was a light mustard shade. A light mustard. Was it alive? Uh, excuse me. Was it alive? Yes. Okay. In both In both instances. <laughs> oh, you've got a stump. Yeah, well, yeah. You stump. You stumped the panel okay. right now. <laughs> I was afraid it was poisonous, and I, I think no. I. They would not be poisonous. No. I can pretty much assure you, we don't have any poisonous lizards here or but salamanders. I, I'm going to guess yeah. gecko again. Okay. Well, I was afraid of it because it looked like it was looking at me. <laughs> That's why I was thinking it was <laughs> the gecko. Yeah. The other thing, which is an apartment, uh, it could have been an exotic pet. It's well, pretty small. Yeah. It was, right. Yeah, but yeah. It could be anything. Well, <laughs> I, I didn't befriend it. I didn't, okay. I didn't kill it, but I didn't befriend it either. I'm not thinking that it's going to hurt you, but I am curious. Take a picture if you see it again, Catherine. I will. Yeah, I will. yeah, that's that's a good idea. You can take a picture, send it to animals at mpbonline.org. We'll try to help you out. Sorry we couldn't get you get you together this morning, Catherine. But well, um, okay. That, it does exist, though. <laughs> All right. We're going to go ahead and um, take another break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about um, the work that Tom is doing. I really want to get into it where he's crossing the road <laughs> with the salamanders. This is uh, Java Chapman in here with Tom Mann, also Amy Genke, Libby Hartfield, and Dr. Troy Major. This is Creature Comforts here on MPB Think Radio.
your home for the arts and music is MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. We're back, and uh, this is Creature Conference here on MPB Think Radio. In the studio with us, we have Tom Mann from the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, also Amy Genke from the Natchez Trace Parkway. Thank you, Sam. And uh, <laughs> as I like to say, Dr. Libby Hartfield and uh, Dr. Troy Major. Now, um, Tom, since 2006, you and volunteers have been uh, carrying salamanders across the road. Answer me this. Why? All right. These are these were, at, the, at that time, 2006, we focused on breeding age, um, breeding size, spotted salamanders. They live in uplands on one side of the road, depending on where they are. And seasonally, they come up around Christmas, then head to the low, lowland breeding pools, typically uh, intermit- uh, not inter- uh, vernal pools, which flood only in the winter. In this case, there was an old farm pond just south of the interstate on the trace. Animals crossing the woods on one side in numbers then um, meet at the ponds, mate, lay eggs, and recross the road. Uh, we hated to see that many animals decimated by increases in traffic at the time that the northern and southern legs of the trace had connected. That's why we were there. Over the years, we expanded south from that and discovered these other salamanders in the road, these Webster salamanders, which are not supposed to be migratory. I say we, this is my wife and I. Uh, Dr. Deborah Mann at Millsaps. Um, not supposed to be migratory. We found out in the woods, uh, found more animals, uh, again, assumed not migratory. We found rocks at that time, and we didn't know the rocks were there. Now, over the years, I've, these, this is a rare animal in Mississippi. I had mapped other populations throughout parts of the state uh, 20 years earlier, and we knew the rocks were often associated, associated with, with them and didn't know why. Well, the trace, it's, it's this spot of the trace, is limestone. On Glendon Limestone, 40 miles south at uh, Rocky Springs, it's sandstone, but it's limestone here. We still didn't know why. Uh, one Christmas I found, uh, I guess this was 2010, 20, yeah, Christmas of 2010, I began to find little guys, little salamanders, tiny little salamanders, they call up on a penny, associated with these rock outcrops. The same species, Webster's, but only the little guys. It occurred to the then that the adults we saw on the road must be heading back to these um our crops seasonally to lay eggs in over summer. You don't get these guys above ground between May and, and late October. They're strictly deep underground, apparently in these rock outcrops. So the hypothesis was they're crossing the road and we see them in March. Next year we went out, we figured if that's the case, we need a balance equation and we look for them in the fall the following year. There they were, crossing the road in the other direction, confirming that hypothesis. The next year we put up fences this is 2012 to um, get a better read on the movement pulses, because when a when a car goes through a stretch of them on the road, uh, they may skitter off in all directions. You really don't know where it was coming from or going. The fences help helped a lot with that. So we've been doing the fences now, flanking that stretch of the trace since 2012, and we're mainly getting breeding size adults there. The little guys don't move far from the rocks. They all migrate, but not so far. 
from the rocks. But, and because of because of your work that you're doing out there helping the um, salamanders and keeping track of them, um, you actually got a, 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 like a stoplight. Oh, that's the trace. Before he'd even discovered that the Webster's migration, uh, the trace folks had been had put up uh, warning lights on each side of the tra- the several reaches we worked there. Uh, that I can have the magic key. I can flick them on at night. When I turn that key on, the speed limit is supposed to drop from 50 to 35. It doesn't look like it does in most instances, but that's what's supposed to happen. And the idea is not that folks break for the salamanders. They're not even going to see a Webster salamander. The idea is to um, avoid running over someone out there scooping them up the road, <laughs> which is what we do. Um, and it's worse. It's really worse for the animals uh, before the time shift when rainy nights coincide with rush hour traffic. Uh, so usually the fall, uh, the fall into the season is, is the hardest for us. But that's that's why those lights are on is to help folks be more alert and look for folks wearing reflective vests and having reflective umbrellas now uh, with scoops getting animals out of the road. Now, you say the Webster salamander is a, a kind of a rare species. What are it some is, of the it other is types? rare in Mississippi. The other two, which are actually widely distributed, but not everywhere are spotted salamanders and, and the marbled salamander. The marbled salamander is the first of these to breed, uh, well, I say, it depends on where you start your year. We get, we get breeding runs of those in late September, October. They're heading two basins that will flood later. They mate in the basin. Uh, female lays eggs under a limb somewhere. A leaf litter, crawfish burrow, what have you, and and she stays with those until the rains come and flood them, and liberating the um the gilled larvae. She's not aquatic; she has lungs like we do, but she's going to be in those basins. It may be months until the rain comes, or until uh, uh, overflow from Lindsay Creek floods the basins, which is kind of neat. Then they go back across the road. By this time, Webster salamanders who come out from the rocks in, around Halloween. They're moving. They're dispersing away. This is this is interesting. Uh, the reason no one suspected migration of these guys is that they aren't biphasic like the spots or the marbles. They don't have a gill. They're strictly terrestrial. There's no need to move away from the rocks. But if you've got if you've got uh, narrow, uh, small, small, uh, only small areas but rocks, uh, we, our hypothesis is they need to move out from those to to avail themselves of the food resources in the leaf litter, termites, ants, calamulins, what have you. Uh, they spread out to get that, maybe to mate with the adults, and then to come back to to survive our toward summers deep underground. That's that's the hypothesis. That's what they're doing. You know, one of the things that to me is interesting about salamanders, people associate reptiles particularly with wanting the heat, you know, basking in the sun and doing all that. And that's another thing that's very different with a salamander from a lizard. Mostly, they... They don't really like it hot, and they don't like it dry. They need that moisture. You're going to see them when it's cool and damp, right? Because a lot and of yeah. this work is rainy, these are, rainy nights. The, the Webster's, we're yeah. flip, um, jumping around a lot here. The Webster's mm-hmm. are strictly surface active in the winter, period, um, yeah. as are a lot of the more distant relatives farther north. Uh, well, those guys, some of those guys may be summer active, too, but uh, the closest relatives, the zigzag salamanders, are also winter active and hiding somewhere deep underground. the ground. And, so it's kind summer. of opposite from hibernating. You know, you and think the, of things mm-hmm. as hibernating yes, through right. the winter. These little guys avoid the summer, which I can identify with a little bit, you know? <laughs> like June, July, August, September, they're just going to lay up and sleep. The, the marble, avoid the heat. The marble and spotted salamander. Spots start moving around Christmas. Their major migrations are going to be January, February. Um, they start, um, But they're, they're active year-round, but they're underground mainly year-round. And I can see one. That's the neat thing. It can be common. These spots are just wonderful animals. Uh, looks like something made it up. 
the opakins at the marble salamanders as well. Just really spectacular looking animals, but you don't see them unless you're turning stuff or unless you're out in the winter like I am lifting things out of the road. They're really neat. And they can live a long time. Spots can live 20, 30 years. It's, oh, um, wow. Let's um, let's go back to the phone lines. We got a uh, Hank from Philadelphia on the line. Uh, with a, wants to join the conversation with a question about salamanders. Uh, good morning, Hank. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. I, I just had a quick question. I'll let you answer and get off the line. Uh, I was just curious about uh, the uh, salamander specific uh, type of fungus, and if there's any instances in Mississippi. Uh, I know that uh, in Europe it's uh, uh, become. Uh, you know, has uh, taken hold in wild populations. I was just wondering if there's any uh, you know, instances in Mississippi yet, or even just the southeast. A great question. It's not here. Uh, there is a real concern. The Fish and Wildlife Service recently had a rule regarding movement of salamander parks among states. I'm told that's no longer operative. But it's it's. Um, and so I think it's a real worry with the pet trade in particular. But right. so far, it has not materialized in native populations here. And if it did. Uh, the salamandrids, this, we've talked about the newt before, would be among the most vulnerable. Right. Maybe the Eurycia, the spring salamanders as well. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. All right. Thank you, Hank. Appreciate you for, um, for calling this morning. Also, if you want to join the conversation, we still have some open phone lines, one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to Brian. And um, he has a question about lizards. How you doing, Brian? Yeah, good man. All right, go ahead. What's your question, sir? Yeah, when I was when I was a boy coming up, we'd see uh we we call it a glass snake. Eventually, it was a lizard that didn't have legs. Do you know anything about that? I haven't seen one in a long time. This is a great question. I mean, I think those are less common. We have uh, three species of those. Ventralis attenuatus. Yeah, three species. One has apparently disappeared in Mississippi. Uh, the one you probably where you're from. You're in. Okay. You probably had the it's the um, the slender glass lizard. They can be up to three feet long. Really neat animals, and as you say, no legs. So that further confounds the generalities. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, I don't see them as much as I think I should be seeing them. And we seem to have abundant habitat. Fire ants may be playing a role in that, but that one is statewide. Um, we had one that's it's um, the. Mimic glass lizard is probably extinct in the state, and there's one still common on the coast, the um, Ophisaurus ventralis. The I can't think of it. <laughs> I can't. It, yeah, it, it's been a long time since I've we seen still, one. We still we still have those. They're great. But a good, good yeah. question. Those are neat animals. Uh, thank you, Brian. Appreciate you. Uh, appreciate you for calling and listening this morning. Uh, now, Amy, I know on the um, on the trace, especially when y'all have the um, bio blitz, it says team of scientists, students, and teachers, community members will track down and identify as many local plant and animal species as possible. Now, are you gonna? Are we gonna see some of these what slender lizards, <laughs> the glass lizard? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, that's what's great about a BioBlitz is it gives everyone an opportunity, sort of regardless of your knowledge and experience. Because so, like me, I, I don't need, I just, I'm here. <laughs> and you don't need to know how to identify all of the plants and all of the animals. We'll have biologists on those walks who will be able to help identify. But what's great about a BioBlitz is it gives us an opportunity to see um, in a in a sort of predetermined amount of time, how many species we have in a specific area. And it's a, a great way to get involved, learn more, and um, just have a, a, a great day. 
So this is like a actual Google, like a real life Google. Like you see something and then you ask the biologist. You don't ask Google. You don't get on the laptop. You don't get on your phone. You just say, hey, I see this lizard. What is this lizard? Help me out. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. Uh, we got another um, caller on the line, Teresa, um, who's on the road. Uh, I think, what did it say? Salamanders, 1990s band. <laughs> Tell us about that. Teresa, you still you on there? Yeah. What do you got for us this morning, Teresa? I am just wondering if you or your guests know that there is a band I think formed in the 1990s called Salamander Popping, um, and they got their name from a, a, a section I think this is some uh, somewhere in the Northeast. Um, where salamanders were crossing the road and there was a community effort to assist the salamanders to safely cross this section of the road. Oh, that's fantastic. Okay. We're going to have to... Oh. All right, I'm clueless. The, com- yeah. the, the community is probably Amherst, Massachusetts. There's a sal- salamander crossing there. There's a, They have a little... Um, an underpass of sorts. The underpass is not like a, it's not like a, just a pipe under the road. The, the animals have to be able to see the sky. The road, the rain needs to be able to filter through a, a grill. These are expensive. That's been suggested as a, as a, as a solution for the issues on the trays. As many spots and as, as, as long as those sectors are when they cross on the trace, that's simply, I think it's untenable um, where I work. We have multiple sections of 100 yards or more where they cross. Plus, the little guys I work with more, the Websters just climb over everything. You can't <laughs> funnel them into They climb right up stuff, so... I wanted to I have a moment here. I wanted to I pointed out the rocks. Uh mentioned the rocks. The rocks and they're linked to the Webster's presence. These are special places in the landscape. In Mississippi, you typically don't find surface rock. And where you do, at least in, in places in southwest Mississippi, and in Winston County and up in Tishomingo County, you have animals whose live histories are tied to those special spots. They can't be managed here and there in the forest. They need the rock and the forest. Uh, and that's something we need to. Uh, Dr. Majors has a beautiful spot down near Carpenter, his uh, near Utica, um, with with rocks. And there are going to be things that are tied to that particular landscape that are special and been there for probably tens of thousands of years. And we just need to consider that. I think when we use our landscape, that's the nice thing about the trace. They manage to dodge some of these rocks unknowingly when they put the thing in. And now, within their protective borders, we do have this alike crop, which is supporting these little Webster salamanders, in my case, which have probably been there since Macedon's uh, walk Mississippi. It's just special. We have a lot of areas like that that we need to think about. Yeah, that's a, one of the, like you say, one of the good things about the trace, just preserving that um, that history and that um, that na- that natural history, um, just you know, here in Mississippi and throughout the throughout the trace. Um, but, but I know you want to Libby give us a couple of details about some events. Oh, I, yeah, I do were, have a um, couple of things. Uh, another um, Museum of Natural Science wanted me to say that on April the twenty first. Mm-hmm. So it's not this coming Friday, but the next and the day before the yeah. bio bits. Yes, the day before the Bible, so you can then run up the trace to that. But um, Nathan um, Piplow, Piplow is uh, he's a real expert on birding by ear. And, you know, a lot of our guests, we've talked a lot about bird song because it's such a good radio-friendly topic. Well, Nathan is a real expert, and he's got a book about learning how to listen to birds and identify them that way. And he's going to be speaking at the museum from 6 to 7.30 on April the 21st. And then Adam Ronke, our good buddy, 
who trains master naturalists. I've, I've been through the program. It's a great thing to do. He's got a new twist on master naturalists. He's doing it in the evenings for people that can't, people who work and can't do it in the day. Tuesday nights, he's got Jackson local restaurants that are going to host each night, okay. which sounds like an added fun. So it'll go on for several weeks. It starts May the 9th, but he needs to know how many people so he can make his plans. So get online, go to masternaturalist.extension.mississippistate and sign up for a workshop. Now, with the naturalist, he's just just living naturally? Well, what you do is learn a little bit about what we talk about on the radio Thursday mornings every morning. (laughs) I think, Tom, you've helped do it. A lot of our guests have helped teach these master naturalists. And it goes on for several weeks. It's, um, I guess, all through May and June, every Tuesday night. And then they'll do four Saturday field trips to go along with that. And I may have to check out that um, the bird um, was on the 21st because right now, uh, I don't I don't know why, but the birds have begun to build another nest in my mailbox. Last year, oh. we had some, I don't know what type of birds they were, but we had three little eggs, three little babies, and they would, they would chirp, 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 and then one day, they were gone. What does the mailman do? Does he just? No, we, we we put a sign out and said, you know, place the um, place the mail what, what on the, the, in what a basket. Right? Like? Yeah. Uh, the nest was just a lot of uh, pine straw twigs. Was it, was it like a? Was it? Well, see, my mailbox is uh, like a rectangle, so right. they got inside. Was it? Was a nest like a ball with a hole in it, or was it more of a cup? Um, more of a cup. Hmm. And if you give us a picture of the eggs, the eggs are, you can usually identify them from the eggs. Yeah, I have to uh, get back in my archives, but I did take a picture of it because we we were like, wow, this is real eggs in our mailbox. Carolina Wren um, is my first guess. That was my first guess, but that's not a cup. Yeah, so we need to look at the nest and the egg. I've got a Wren building right now in kind of a sheltered area on a porch, and they will... They'll even start trying to, if you've got the garage door open, oh, you've yeah. got to watch it. They'll start building in Stuff there. Stuff your boots with um, right. <laughs> right. We have a Phoebe on our front porch. And, oh, we have a Phoebe, too. Oh, yeah. neat. Isn't that great? One nice thing about the Master, Master Naturalist Program, I mean, you're you're really helping folks identify other occupants of the landscape, which enriches the lives of everybody. It's free. Okay. And that's neat. That's really that's, And then you care. And Amy, we'll give you the last word um, from the Natural Trace Parkway. Tell us one more time about the BioBlitz, when, where, why, who, all that. <laughs> Excellent. So it is on Saturday, April 22nd. It's going to be from 930 to 4, and that's at the Natural Trace Parkway Visitor Center near Tupelo, so milepost 266. It is open to anyone. Um, it is a family-friendly fen- event. Um, anyone is welcome. As I mentioned earlier, you don't need to be an expert. Just come on out and learn more about the the wildlife of the Natchez Trace Parkway. And if you are in the Jackson Metro area on Saturday, May 6th, there will be a um, Salamander Saturday at the Parkway Information Cabin from 10 to 1. And, uh, Tom, if anybody wants to come help um, with the um, Salamander Crossing, can they volunteer or come help out? Again, they can, but they uh, they would need to contact me first, and they would need to be, they need to understand that a lot of nights out there, <laughs> I'm out there 
Um, with lightning or tornado warnings and other nights as well. But that folks seem surprised when it's raining the night that I'm doing stuff. <laughs> That's when many of these guys are moving, guys and gals. So they well, contact me at the museum. Okay, you well, got to be really careful when you help. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah we, I, I can imagine. Traffic and lightning. and Yeah, we're not rain. dashing out of the road. We're waiting until traffic passes or <laughs> trying to be there before it's there. Okay. So. Well, I appreciate you for coming in this morning. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. Funding is provided in part by Wildlife Mississippi, a statewide organization celebrating its 20th year conserving Mississippi lands, waters, and wildlife. Also, contributions from listeners like you. I'm Java Chapman for Libby Hartfield, Dr. Troy Major, Tom Mann, and Amy Genke. Stay tuned for Thursday, 10 o'clock show, MPB Season Pass with Jay White. And tune in next Thursday for Creature Comforts right here on MPB Think Radio.